For the Canadian Society of Physician Leaders, I'm Pat Rich, and this is Leading the Way, the podcast for and about physician leaders. On today's show, your host, Dr. Johnny Van Arda, Executive Medical Director of CSPL and the current editor of the Canadian Journal of Physician Leadership, will be speaking with Dr. Courtney Howard. Courtney is an emergency physician in Yellowknife and a leading Canadian physician advocate on environmental issues and climate change. She was also recently a leadership candidate for the Green Party of Canada. Over to you, Johnny. Well, Pat, thanks very much. I can't wait to start this interview with Dr. Howard. Welcome, Courtney. Such a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. When I look on Twitter or a lot of the social media, you seem to have a very busy life. You're a board member for the CMA. You're leading the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. You just finished competing for the leadership of the Federal Green Party, and you're an ER doc and a mom. So here is my question. How are you really doing these days? Well, I'm I'm hibernating right now. So it has been a busy last uh, six months. The election campaign really was sort of a sprint. And my husband actually is a pediatrician and he was the medical director of our hospital through COVID and uh, just handed over last week. And so we're having a week of hibernation right now, which is which is lovely. And I'm planning on spending the next couple of months finishing up some some projects that I'd sort of put to the side while we did the leadership campaign. So it's been a busy time, but I'm looking forward to a, a, a very quiet winter. One of the questions I ask is linked with your work around the environment and social uh, socioeconomic uh, issues. As we all continue to learn from, from the COVID crisis on a day-to-day basis, what out of that crisis that's going on today can we apply to the climate crisis? Some of the things, and and this varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but particularly at the beginning of the crisis, we saw really great collaboration between public health officials and the the people in charge, the elected politicians in many places. And we saw the evidence as we had it being very quickly turned into action items. We saw super clear messaging, uh, you know, daily press conferences with the most high profile people in the country. We've seen uh, blanketed communication strategies, you know, woven through everything from our public health uh, systems to our grocery stores where there's, you know, little dots on the uh, floor that tell us where we can stand when we queue to pay. And so, when we look at how quickly we can mobilize, you know, the, the narrative in the client, there's been this sense of um, sort of almost powerlessness. You know, we can't actually change the world quick enough to save our tails. We can. We clearly we just demonstrated that we can. And so what has become clear is that I think one of the reasons that worked was that particularly initially, there was no anti-response to COVID lobby. So I think, you know, something that has really been laid bare for me is that when we listen to scientists and they have the ability to have a direct communications line to our politicians, things can change really quickly. In order to create that, we need, it does need to be a wartime mobilization type of affair where we are aligning our messaging at all levels at scale. 
um, in a way that really makes what people need to do very clear. It doesn't present them with a problem. We didn't sort of say to our population, gee, there's this big giant problem and leave it at that, which is sometimes almost where we get to in the climate debate. We said, stay at home, wear a mask. We've very rarely seen that with the climate work. And also really, I think it's really made it very clear that influence matters. And that I think what we need to be really looking at when we are talking about taking action on the climate crisis is really focusing in very carefully on who is influencing politicians, how they're being influenced, at what stages in the decision making process those are showing up, and how we can tell the story better to taxpayers about, you know, how we're essentially subsidizing the industry that's most likely to result in catastrophic failure of healthcare systems within the lifetime of children alive today. Uh, do you think that in today's environment that the environmental issues are actually being put on the back burner due to COVID? I think COVID has made our vulnerabilities really clear to people. And so whereas before We couldn't really envision badness at the societal level. I think we had a bit of a feeling of uh, invulnerability. Now we can. It used to be difficult for me to find examples to give to people about supply chain disruption, et cetera. Now it's really easy. And so now that you can say, hey, and we're worried about supply chain disruption in terms of our ability to keep health systems functioning too, as we end up with, you know, increasing famines and refugee crises and failed states and conflict as a result of climate change, people can picture that. And so I think that this is a moment we've been disrupted. I, I do think that there is greater potential to solve the climate crisis at this moment than pre-COVID, even despite the fact that people are so exhausted and their bandwidth is low. Because I think that if we can just say, hey, the path to safety lies this way, People will say, yes, we don't want more crisis. We want safety and, and we'll do what needs to be done. What do you see as the role uh, for individual physicians and for the medical professional in general as it relates to climate change? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I published a paper, a comment in the Lancet Planetary Health last month, but it's called Targeted Change Making for a Healthy Recovery. And It essentially outlines that I believe we need to move all mass from a information deficit model of change making to a targeted model of change making. Because I think we've all had a very unexamined belief that if we just tell people things because we're doctors, they'll listen right. to us and they'll change their behavior. And that's just, it just doesn't work. And so Certainly the, and I believe it actually leads to a bit of um, despair on our part, you know, having putting commentaries out talking about the ills of the world or, you know, doing the same thing on Twitter, it doesn't actually get the job done. Um, my experience in advocacy has shown me that really, you need organization, you need a team, you need to choose a target that you believe is evidence based and will be high impact. And that should be the absolute most ambitious target that you and your team feel that you can accomplish at a given moment, a policy window with the resources at your disposal. You should make sure that you find all of the other partners, uh, see where your voice fits in the midst of that community, and use whatever tactics at your disposal. At that point, that's where the op-eds come in. And then once you win that, you know, you've had your meetings with your decision makers, you've commissioned your poll that's given you some headlines to give to media, et cetera, and you win that target, what that does is it generates a feeling of hope. And that hope 
builds your team faster than anything else you could do. And that's been a real learning point for me over the course of of my time. I, I thought at one point that if I asked small things of people, you know, please do rounds on climate change at your hospital, that that would be the best way to get people engaged. But in fact, choosing ambitious things that kind of get a glint going in people's eyes as they can imagine the change that would be made in the world if you actually got that done involves way more people, even if it requires more time or more energy of them. And then when that works, it's great. So I think we need to pick our targets based on the data points and then source the human stories that will that will get people off the couch to to make the change and everything depends on the ecological foundation so i sometimes have people saying well why do you keep talking about climate change that's just one thing and there's all these other things i'm like yeah but if we don't solve that you know i live on permafrost here and i can tell you that once your foundation starts to shift nothing else matters And that is the real point that I think the Canadian and the world medical community needs to understand on a deep gut level, because if the climate starts to become uh, more unstable and we hit these tipping points where our influence will no longer matter, all we're going to be able to do is adapt. And it's unlikely we'll be able to do that to a level that we will consider acceptable. Indeed, we need to keep hope as we work together towards a better future. What What I've learned is that action and accomplishing things leads to hope. And what the literature on the psychology of movement building also shows is that getting together to solve problems with like-minded individuals is empowering. And it also helps to create some of the social networks that help to, to fend off loneliness and, and that sense of hopelessness. So what I think is great is that action feels better than anxiety. The thing we need to do in order to fix the problem is also actually the thing we need to do in order to feel better about the problem and in order to just live a good life uh, at this extraordinary time. And so I like the fact that it all aligns. And certainly some of the richest experiences of my life, the most incredible and inspiring people I've ever met have come about for me as a result of my involvement in planetary health and uh, climate change and health. What have you learned about leadership in general in the context of your ongoing environmental advocacy work? Leadership can always be lonely, and it's very important to find your people. It, it makes it much, much better. But what is interesting is that the first question I ever asked of the co-founder of CAPE, uh, Trevor Hancock, was around courage. Because I don't think we talk nearly enough about the courage involved in making change. You know, it sounds very Pollyanna-ish, like we're going to do good things for the world. But there's this place where, you know, the good little girls and the good little boys of the world, which I think many of us were, in order to follow the rules to get into medical school, all of a sudden, after a lifetime of getting along with the people in charge, you are very much coming up against power. And they don't like it at all. And so you've gone from being, you know, I got, I got basically every award there is to get for being a good little girl. And more often than not, I find myself now being uh, treated as a disruptor because I am. The system has not been built to favor survival and I'm really into survival. And so I think that at that point, it's very easy to stop because we haven't acknowledged that it's scary. When I teach advocacy to medical students these days, we talk a lot about courage and we brainstorm around, well, how can we 
create systems and communities that give us all courage? And how can we make sure that people just have the skill sets that they're going to need ahead of time so that everyone just has media training in case they need it? And then we create the communities. We acknowledge that loneliness is a real barrier. and We create communities to support one another. We acknowledge that there, there's a stress involved in this. I think we'll be so much farther ahead. I, I use the words courage, power, and money about 10,000% more than I used to because so much of it comes down to that. And when you can sort of take a look at a conflict that you had and realize that actually that was about power, it depersonalizes it so you don't take it personally. And it really, I find, helps to problem solve around what to do next. I need to ask this question. What lasting legacy do you think the COVID syndemic will leave on us? For me, it's opened up a window to effective action on the climate crisis. We are seeing the World Health Organization very much with the message, look, this is a zoonotic infection. We are going to see more of these as the climate changes if we do not start to really pay attention to the intersection of humanity and the rest of the natural world. The COVID has really shown us that we need to reimagine ourselves beyond the work that we do in the hospital and instead frame health as planetary health, which is the health of human systems and the state of the natural systems upon which they depend. What I think is really beautiful about that is that it sort of flattens the hierarchy involved in healing. It shares both the responsibility and the honor that comes with that work. And I think it can provide an aligning ethic that can really increase the meaning in the lives of many different disciplines and help us achieve what we want to see in terms of the health for for ourselves and our families and our patients in the years to come. Courtney, on behalf of the CSPL and and of myself personally, thank you so much for taking the time. Well, my pleasure. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to many long winter's naps uh, in a subarctic of, of hibernation. And it's nice to have some great conversations in the midst of that. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Over to Pat. Thanks, Johnny. And thanks, Courtney. That's our show for today. We hope you are finding these interviews with Canadian physician leaders entertaining and are learning from their experiences and perspectives. Please continue to listen to our future podcasts and subscribe to them through your favorite podcast platform. They can also be accessed through the CSPL website at physicianleaders.ca. Until next time.